Welcome back to He Leadeth Me, a spiritual formation podcast for Focus staff, students, and friends. I'm Jessica, Focus's Manager of Spiritual Formation. And today I have with me a special guest, Monsignor Shea, who is the president of the University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota. And he's a great friend of Focus. He's spoken many times at our staff training and conferences. And it's a pleasure to have you here with us today, Monsignor. It's a joy to be with you, Jessica. Thanks so much. And I have to tell you, I've been so excited for this interview because we're going to talk about something that is very relevant uh, to Focus right now and really to the church and the whole world, which is Focus alumna Michelle DePong. So Michelle was a North Dakota farm girl. She was a Focus missionary for six years. And then in 2014, she was diagnosed with cancer, and she passed away on Christmas Day in 2015. Now, on June 15th, 2022, this year, the Bishop of Bismarck announced that the diocese had opened an investigation into her life. So this is really exciting news. But Monsignor, can you tell us what that actually means? Sure. Well, Jessica, you and I were both in the room on that night, weren't we? Yes. It was, it was terrifically exciting. The atmosphere was electric, and uh, there was a sense as well of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the room. I, I felt like all of us who were there, the, the focused missionaries who had been in training at the University of Mary this summer, and all of the priests who were present, both priests who were ministering to focus and a couple of diocesan priests, certainly the chaplain of our campus, uh, was here as well. And when the bishop made that announcement, I, I think all of us were just captured by the historical magnitude of what was happening right before us to be present at the announcement that an investigation at the diocesan level had been opened um, was it, it's something certainly that I in my life have never experienced before. And I don't know if I'll ever experience it again. Uh, maybe not until they open your investigation, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that might be a, a real long time. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, what it means, as I understand it, um, and certainly you've been reading and researching a lot about this topic as well, is that the diocesan investigation is the first stage or the first, um, uh, the the first part of the overall process by which a person can be declared a saint of the Roman Catholic Church. And so uh, the diocesan investigation takes place such that um, uh, the bishop has appointed a priest, uh, Father Tom Grafsgaard, who I taught in high school. And so he was a high school student of mine many years ago. And I'm so consoled by this because he was a very good writer of papers. Uh, he, he had a great, he had a great aptitude for reading and research. And that's what he's going to need to do, uh, because, uh, already he's done a lot of preliminary work in order to get to the stage where the investigation can even be opened. He needed to look carefully through her writings, her correspondence, all of those things, many of which were readily available because she had worked for the Diocese of Bismarck immediately prior to her death. And so many of Michelle's papers and correspondence, I suppose even her emails, uh, were available immediately to the diocese. Um, and so uh, he did a preliminary investigation on behalf of Bishop Kagan. And uh, when when uh, I was in Bishop Kagan's office recently, he pointed at a big crate in the corner of his office, which was uh, the sort of compiled 
evidence thus far of Michelle's heroic virtue and her holiness. And so, um, and so that process will continue. Um, there will be a, um, a, a, a guild, uh, uh, or a league, a guild or a league, which is opened. And it needs to be somewhat, uh, separate from the diocese because the diocese and the person of the bishop will need to make a final determination as to whether or not to forward the cause to the, the dicastery of the causes of saints. It used to be the congregation for the causes of saints, but Pope Francis has changed the nomenclature. And so I'm hurrying up, uh, to, to be, uh, current, but it's the dicastery for the causes of saints. Would receive the information. And so right now, um, they're in the process of, of preparing um, to launch this separate uh, organization, which will then print uh, holy cards, uh, which people can use privately to pray for favors uh, to Michelle in the hopes that um, supernatural evidence of Michelle's sanctity uh, will be made known. And of course, uh, the diocese will eagerly await that. But in any case, at a certain point when the dossier or when the file is uh, in good shape, at that point, uh, the hope would be uh, that a recommendation is made to Bishop Kagan, and then he would determine whether or not the dossier or the file should be uh, advanced to the the dicastery for the causes of saints in Rome. They'll look at it, and if they decide to receive it, then Michelle would be declared a servant of God, which is the first step, and then it goes to venerable, blessed, and saint. Wow. So uh, say that the bishop does decide to send the file to the dicastery of saints. What is it that the Vatican is looking for? Yeah, you know, the, this goes back to the question of heroic virtue. Um, heroic virtue, like so many things in the Catholic tradition, is a phrase which was given to us by one of the greatest theologians in our entire history, certainly one of the finest minds and one of the most inspiring lives, and that's St. Augustine of Hippo. And so St. Augustine, remember, uh, was the Bishop of Hippo in North Africa. He was a convert to Catholicism, and he wrote what's probably the first ever um uh, autobiography, uh, the Confessions of St. Augustine. Um, and it's very beautiful. Of course, he's the source for that wonderful uh, prayer to God in his confessions. Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in, in you. Um, and so, uh, he had, uh, he had noted this question of heroism. So heroes are not the idea of a hero is not an idea that comes originally from the Christian tradition, actually. Uh, the heroes were, were the, the pagan demigods, demigods. They were, they were human beings who had such godlike qualities that they were raised above all of their peers. And so an example of a, of a hero, for instance, would be Hercules. You know, Hercules was, was, was one of these great heroes. And so, um, uh, St. Augustine takes this idea and he applies it to the early martyrs, saying that uh, by grace, not by their own merits, but by an infusion of divine grace, there were women and men in the early church. And of course, remember uh, that um, uh, Augustine was writing after the age of the martyrs. And so 
still there were gladiatorial contests and, you know, wild beast fests and things at the Colosseum in Rome during his time. But it was after the age of the martyrs. And so looking back upon the many, many thousands who had given their lives for Christ in those bloody first centuries, including during the persecution of really notorious uh, haters of Christianity like um, uh, Diocletian, and uh, Nero and Julian the Apostate, uh, th those who had given their lives so heroically during those long centuries of persecution, when the church really, in a certain sense, was running for its life, he applied to them the term hero. And then uh, what's interesting is the, the term, so he, they were heroic how in their virtue. And uh, they had an uncommon uh, measure of virtue. Now, virtue also is a concept like hero that we borrow from the Greek tradition. Uh, virtue, um, well, it's it's a uh, it's a Latin word com coming from vir, which means man. And so, manliness or man manhood um, turns on this question of virtue, a kind of manly strength. And so, uh, he said that there are those um, that 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 those who have heroic virtue are those who are raised up above their human peers, uh, such that uh, their capacity for God is really uncommon. Now, we know, and the church tradition has told us through the centuries, that we have the cardinal virtues, which are natural virtues, and then there are the supernatural virtues, which are um, theological virtues. And the, the, the human virtues, the cardinal virtues are virtues, which of course we can achieve kind of on our own steam. They can come through discipline and we can form and shape our character according to them. And then there are the uh, theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. Uh, and those are infused within our soul by God's grace. Those come to us originally through baptism and then God, uh, through his grace and goodness. And because we don't get in the way, God increases those inside of us. And those, of course, rest upon the gift that we're given in baptism, which is faith. And so faith then becomes the foundation for, uh, for all of the, the uh, theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. And then love is the crowning of all of them. It's the, it's the effervescence, the, the flourishing of all the theological virtues. So this is a long answer, Jessica, to your question. What the dicastery for the causes of saints is looking for is, um, is evidence of heroic virtue. Uh, and so evidence in Michelle's life that she was a person really who stands above her peers, not just a really good person, but a person who had an uncommon capacity uh, for both the cardinal and the theological virtues. Now, in the in the in in along the way, of course, they'll be looking for miracles. Uh, a miracle is required for beatification and a further miracle for uh uh, canonization. But because of the history that I just gave you, so with, because you've had to endure this long meandering history, uh, I'll give you a tiny little reward with a fun fact. With a martyr, one of the virtue, one of the miracles is abrogated. And so martyrdom itself is considered enough, um, being killed because of hatred for the faith is considered one, one, uh, uh, evidence strong enough such that only one miracle is required for the canonization of a martyr. 
Wow, Monsignor, I did not know that history behind the term heroic virtue. I mean, I've heard that term from time to time, but I didn't realize it came from St. Augustine and that yeah. time of the martyrs. That's fascinating. The big question that a lot of people in focus who never knew Michelle have right now is how did Michelle live heroic virtue? What makes her not just a holy person, but possibly a saint? Yeah. Well, so um, for those of us who knew Michelle, it's interesting. And um, I know that this big documentary is coming out about Michelle, and there's a very dear moment in the midst of it. And I know, Jessica, you did some work on that. And um, there's a be beautiful moment in which I think one of Michelle's sisters is saying, you know, we, we really didn't notice anything different about her. She was a she was a common person. She was just like one of us. And there's one sense in which the saints always are like that. They really are always just like one of us. Um, and so there, there is a, an authenticity and a commonness uh, in the life of a saint and ease, an authenticity, which is necessary. But then along the way, uh, and this is what the documentation on her life we hope will show, and certainly those of us who knew her would have noticed, that along the way, there was something unusual about Michelle. Uh, it wasn't just that she was a person with a cheerful disposition. Sometimes those of us uh, with uh, a little bit of shadow over our personality, who aren't, you know, don't leap out of bed every morning cheering for the coming of another day and running around in circles because we're just so jubilant to be alive. You know, there are people like that and they're not necessarily yeah. saints just because they have that disposition. And then there are other people who, <laughs> who don't have those qualities who also can be saints. I'm thinking, for instance, of Saint Jerome. Who mm, I'm was, thinking of uh, myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, um, and so it wasn't simply that Michelle was sort of a Pollyanna, uh, that she was always very cheerful. What one notices, and and oftentimes, and this is God's goodness working in memory, when when I look back upon my interactions with Michelle, and I think that this would be true even of many, many people who had much more interaction with her than I did, you know, her close friends or team members in focus who worked with her or those who were discipled with her. You know, I was just this past weekend out in, um, out in California at a conference and one of the Alhambra Carmelites, one of the Carmelites out in Los Angeles uh, came running up to me and she said, I'm so grateful to hear about uh, about Michelle because she discipled me and I'm a Carmelite sister because of her. Wow. And it was just very beautiful. And then she was begging me to remember that when the, when the, when the prayer cards finally do come out from the diocesan investigation, if I could send her not just one, you know, these sisters can sometimes be greedy. She wanted a whole stack of them. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, when, when those of us who, who, who knew Michelle think about her, um, we noticed that there was an uncommon kind of promptitude or ease with which she lived the Christian life. Mm -hmm. the, the, the good life, the life of virtue is a struggle for all of us all the time. Uh, and, so, um, and so because of our fallen nature, uh, our minds are darkened uh, and we don't know the good as easily. Our wills are weakened and Though we want to act for the good, oftentimes, as St. Paul reminds us in his letter to the Romans, the good that we want to do, we don't do, uh, and that there's a misery in that. Our emotions and um, our senses uh, can be 
enamored by the glamour of evil, you know, uh, or by ease or comfort and can rise up. They can become inflamed, our passions, and rise up and overthrow our higher faculties, the intellect and the will. And Michelle, you had a person who, of course, was a sinner, you know, uh, who had her own weaknesses. But um, but in the full flourishing of her work with focus, for instance, or when she was at the Diocese of Bismarck, you have the picture of someone who, with an unusual amount of promptitude and ease, and even pleasure, did God's will. She loved Jesus. She loved him. And, and, and she wanted everyone else to know about him and love him too. And there was a, um, there was a totality to that in Michelle. She didn't hold back in respect to that. And then that whole substrate of her life was tested by her illness. And so those things that all of us kind of saw as glimpses before, she had a ready faith. She had a deep apostolic zeal, all of those things. All of us who, who are associated with uh, apostolic work like Focus or the University of Mary, all of us have that in some measure, right? Otherwise, we, we'd be like, I don't know, trading stocks. We wouldn't be, <laughs> we wouldn't be spending our time doing what we're doing if we didn't have that in some measure. But Michelle had a whole heap of it. You know, she just, mm -hmm. she really integrated it into her personality. And then what happened was she got sick in an unexpected way. And her sickness was not something that one would expect under normal circumstances for a person of her age. Uh, and, and she had made, and I said this, you know, uh, at the premiere, the kind of sneak peek of the uh, documentary, she had made her life completely available to God. And to do that is an act of tremendous generosity. It also is an act of bravery. You think of the bravery of the martyrs here, uh, which brought forth and made uh, way for heroic virtue. There was uh, um, amazing bravery that Michelle had in making her life available to God. And he took her up on that offer of availability in a way that she couldn't have expected and in a way that none of us uh, were ready for. And that's that he, um, he allowed her to have a very, very painful kind of cancer that was super aggressive and that debilitated her during the, the final year of her life in ways which were, which were great gravely painful and which brought about tremendous suffering now it's in that context that her heroic virtue was tested and those who were at her bedside i think of someone like father nathan cromley who was very close to her and senior tom richter who was her spiritual director or i think of her dear sister renee who's a nurse and who cared for her or um ken and marianne her parents uh, who accompanied her. Uh, I think of Father Jim Cheney, who's the, you know, um, he's the chaplain or the director of the Newman Center at North Dakota State University, and who flew her, uh, her last journey from the treatment center, I think in Illinois, back home before she died. Any of those people who were close to her said that Michelle suffered with great acceptance, a lack of any resentment or self-pity, and with almost a joy that then became a cause for the conversion 
of those around her, including her caregivers, doctors and nurses, came to embrace or return to the faith because they were caring for Michelle. And this is very beautiful. And so people would be concerned about her. You know, there's that story about the moment that her final diagnosis and prognosis really was given that she was going to die. And, um, and she paused for just a moment and absorbed it all and then asked the doctor how he was doing, how his day was going. Um, and he was so startled by this, he had to leave the room to collect himself again. And so I think that what we saw, again, these are long answers to simple questions, Jessica, but I think that what we saw, those of us who worked with Michelle, were the glimpses of the breadcrumbs to a kind of heroic virtue, uh, which is uncommon and which raised her above her peers. And then her sickness provided uh, something new which was a testing of that because um, it's much harder when your body is devastated, much harder when you're enduring daily suffering, much harder when all of a sudden you open the pages of the book of Job and there you are in the middle of the story. It's much harder to uh, be sustained in that heroic virtue. And Michelle's virtue didn't subside, but grew in the midst of her suffering. And that's a great sign for us. I think that that's the thing about her that inspires me the most. Hearing that as she is dying of cancer, a woman who was only 31 years old, had someone she was in love with, wanted to be married and uh, be in North Dakota evangelizing. She's accepting God's will for her own death. And she still has this bursting joy to share Jesus with others. It's amazing. It truly was amazing. You know, the the Bishop of Bismarck, Bishop David Kagan, is not an emotional person. Uh, you've worked with him a little, and he's not, he doesn't get worked up easy. He's not given to, um, to uh, sort of uh, flourish in words or flowery rhetoric, the way that some priests uh, who remain unknown sometimes can get themselves wound up into. But uh, the, the biggest compliment that Bishop Kagan ever gives to any one or to any experience is that they are or it is edifying and he has used that word he said that michelle's death was an edifying death and that's true also fortifying for all of us who are still struggling in our faith and and uh, not struggling in our faith in terms of the content but the daily living out of it it's one thing to embrace the truths of christianity it's another thing to put our money where our mouth is <laughs> that is so true Monsignor, I feel like I could talk with you about this all day, but uh, since we're running a little short on time, is there anything else that you would want people to know about Michelle Dupong? Well, I think that, you know, we're, we're talking primarily about focus missionaries here who might be listening to this. And focus missionaries are interesting people. I've taught many, many, many of them because uh, they, they at a certain point have felt the nudge of God in their hearts uh, to be at least generous enough to give a couple of years, you know, uh, and uh, to be at least believing enough to think that the faith is something worth spreading. But the totality of God's call upon our life is oftentimes lost to us. And Michelle uh, provides for Focus Missionaries a tremendous patron because, um, because he, Jesus, 
grants to each person all of the grace necessary for a totality of gift, such that we don't have to hold back and we don't have to prepare our lives for other things that are coming in the future. We can instead throw ourselves completely into the work that we're doing at any given moment. And this is a great gift. Had Michelle known, had she been given some knowledge that she would die at the age of 31 of cancer, that her death would be so filled with suffering, she might have made other kinds of preparations. She might have, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, taken some time off before uh, she got sick such that she could more deeply enjoy this young man that she was in love with or spend more time with her family before she couldn't um, enjoy them anymore or, or maybe read some books or, or however. And we live by holding back pieces of ourselves. But Michelle didn't know. Now, she was so impressive that she might not have rearranged things anyway, but she didn't know. It's good for us not to know our future. It's good for God to know it, but it's good for us not to know it. Because in, in Corey Tenboom, remember, who was one of the righteous among the nations, she displayed tremendous heroism. Uh, she was a Dutch clockmaker during the Holocaust and saved many, many lives. She said, we should never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Don't ever be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And so what I would say, you know, when Pope Francis recently released an apostolic letter, Desiderio Desideravi, and in it he quotes St. Francis. So Pope Francis re released a, a quote from St. Francis, where St. Francis was writing to priests and he said, hold back nothing of yourselves for yourselves, so that he who gives himself to you totally can receive you totally. Hold back nothing of yourselves for yourselves, so that he who has given himself to you totally can receive you totally. That's the mystery of the Eucharist. Here we are in the midst of this revival. So I think Michelle's message for Focus Missionaries is very simple and straightforward. The work that they're doing right now is their real lives, and they should pour themselves into it every day. Every day as a Focus Missionary needs all the love you can give at any moment of the whole day from beginning to end. There's not meant to be in the midst of our lives, uh, sort of times when we can just sort of step off to the side and just be only for ourselves and not for Jesus. Even when we're resting, especially when we're resting, we're resting in him, not apart from him. And Michelle's life, I think, displays that very, very stunningly uh, for focused missionaries. She was total in her gift. We can be too. They can be. You and I, Jessica, we can be total in our gifts today. Uh, and that's an invitation that we receive from across and beyond the veil from Michelle Dupong, who is a focused missionary. And if she can be that holy, so can all the rest of us. Yes. May we all follow in her example. Monsignor, could you give everybody who's listening right now a blessing? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary all the patron saints of focus, and all the saints in heaven. May Almighty God bless and keep you, fill you with great courage and apostolic zeal, and banish from your hearts any hesitation or fear. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Monsignor Shea. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Oh,